Welcome. We are Phil and Jen, and this is episode four of season three, We Can Make Change, and this one's called Curious. And before we jump into this episode, um, I wanted to talk about sessions again because it's been fun. Uh, We've uh, been doing more sessions with more people, and uh, we thought we'd just share a little bit more about it. It's... um, it's like coaching. So we're doing like relationship coaching. So we've been doing uh, marriage coaching and sessions, uh, which is just, it's really, really fun for us to continue to get to walk alongside other people in their lives and their marriages and just be a a support and a voice um, for them. And also we've been doing um, like spirituality coaching and sessions as well of just getting to like it's like a privilege to walk alongside people as they open up about their own spiritual journey and questions and wrestlings and thoughts. And um, it's, it's like a, a really fun, really unique kind of special time that we get to spend with people. And so um, we've loved doing that. And uh, if that's something that you would want to be a part of as well, we invite you, you can go to our site and um, you can check out a session there. This season, we're calling it we can make change. And it's a mixture of conversations, like hopeful conversations with people making beautiful change in the world, as well as conversations that Jen and I are having about what it looks like to make change and to keep growing in our own lives. And this one's called Curious, and it's something that we've actually been talking uh, quite a bit about. Yeah. So in this episode, we want to talk about curiosity and the power that it has to change both our personal lives and the world. I mean, we believe this is something that has the power to actually change the world. Um, and so what are we talking about when we say curiosity? There's this little book that Seth Godin wrote a while back. It's called Tribes. And, and it's kind of an older book now with like how fast culture's moving. Uh, but I still have so much to say. And uh, he speaks about curiosity in the book. And he says this, he says, A fundamentalist is a person who considers whether a fact is acceptable to his religion before he explores it, as opposed to a curious person who explores first and then considers whether or not he wants to accept the ramifications. A curious person embraces the tension between his religion and something new, wrestles with it and through it, and then decides whether to embrace the new idea or reject it. Curious is the key word. It has nothing to do with income, nothing to do with education, and certainly nothing to do with organized religion. It has to do with the desire to push whatever envelope is interesting. So this is really just a a super basic idea, but at the same time, it's so profound. And of course, it's easy to look at it as simply just a religious idea, but it's we're talking about everything. And so we're talking about this idea of really like fundamentalism or even judgmentalism um, versus curiosity. And ultimately, uh, Godin goes on to say, fundamentalism has nothing to do with religion and everything to do with an outlook, whatever your religion is. And so this isn't just a religious thing. It's really an overall just outlook. That's even a big part of why we're doing this season, We Can Make Change, um, is that we're really interested and curious about other people and the ways that they see the world and the ways that they're making change in the world and the ways that they're like giving themselves to it. I mean, how much of our world and and lives and outlook are shaped more by fundamentalism or what I would actually call judgmentalism (laughs) rather than curiosity? And I think the question that we're posing here is what what are we missing out on as a result of that? There's this book that uh, I love. I read it a few years ago. 
a friend of mine recommended it to me and I, I've spent a lot of time thinking about it. It's, it's a, um, it's called seeing is forgetting the name of the thing one sees. And it's, uh, a conversation with, uh, the artist Robert Irwin. So it's like conversations over 30 years with a journalist in Chile that is like, like putting this all together in one volume. And it tells the story of Robert Irwin's life who, um, is, is obviously a profound artist that's changed the world in a lot of ways. But the, there's this part in the book that talks about a shift that he underwent in his own life, in his own career. And he had been doing um, uh, a lot of different kinds of art. He'd, he'd been getting involved in um, some some groups in LA that were showcasing art that were like kind of like these exclusive kind of um, competitive groups and like the, there was a sense of competition that was driving him to want to wanna compete and to want to be like seen as, as amazing and and he was sort of um, operating in those spheres almost like I don't want to say benchmarking off other people because he was always a genius in the work that he did but um, driven a lot in competition with whatever the scene was and then there was this shift that the, the book describes where he set out for what turned out to be two years and he went through this like deconstruction phase where he he was like stripping away essentially asking these questions like what is the least that you could put on a canvas and it would still be art and like like what even is art and how do we even understand art and like how do we strip it all away and then he went into his studio and it, it describes how he spent two years making this series of paintings that had two lines on them. And that is, he's like, what's the simplest object that you could possibly, a straight line. And so he spent two years working in his studio on a series of, of a handful of paintings that simply had two lines. And that was it. Mm -hmm. Like, like in one sense, you could do it in like an afternoon if you were just going to slap two lines on a page. But for him, he would watch as like the light changed in his studio and how it affected the art and the the lines and the wash on the back and like he would like take the line out and he would move it like a quarter inch down on the canvas and like no 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 he'd move it back up a quarter inch and then like he noticed that like different things in the room would affect the way he perceived the lines that were on the page so he would notice the cracks in the drywall behind the canvases were like affecting how he was looking at the the canvas so he'd go and he'd repair all the wall in his studio and then repair the skylight wow. he like he spent so much time perfecting these two lines that when he finally finished what happened was this like transformation in him, which changed everything about the way that he saw the world. He was driven by what he would end up calling like this relentless kind of curiosity that like changed how he perceived himself and the world and art and then the rest of his career. And it really changed like art generally. And in the way that he ends up describing it in this book, um, when he does these late line paintings is, uh, I'll just read a little part from the book. Um, he says, another way of seeing those late lines is to realize that they themselves were, the, were that ground zero, that in a period of two years, Irwin had achieved a complete revolution in his thinking and that everything that was to follow was merely an acting out, a fleshing out of the discoveries that he had made with them, discoveries, the implications of which it took him another decade to unfurl. They say, in any case, biographically, the late line paintings constitute the fulcrum of Irwin's artistic career. He says, all of my activities after those line paintings are a result of how those paintings taught me to look at the world. And then he goes on and he says that he was once animated principally by ambition. He was fiercely competitive. He wanted to be the best abstract expressionist on the block. And then something happened 
And over the next several years, he got hooked on what he was doing, and curiosity came to supersede ambition as his principal motivation. And it stayed that way ever since the rest of his life. And he said, those lines, that was where at age 35, I finally grew up and became an artist. Mm. Which is just such a fascinating story that two years of intense curiosity of what art even is changed his life and made him what he would call an actual artist. Which is, it's, it's like a, it's a fascinating story how curiosity changed him. Yeah, and it, curiosity does, doesn't just change someone like Robert Irwin's life, you know, or anyone else for that matter. I, I really do believe it could change the world. And so I think like, what if, what if we approached ourselves with curiosity and we approach each other and the world and faith with more curiosity and less judgment, how would that change the world? And so we want to just start by talking about ourselves. And so when we talk about being curious, let's just break it down. But what would it look like to be more curious about ourselves? And right now we're all being faced with so much. I mean, these last two years have been wild. We've had so much to process and there's so many emotions that come with that as a result. And what if rather than judging those emotions or judging kind of the feelings that are coming up with all that we've been going through, what if we let those feelings inform us and then, and then allowed them to move through us? Like, and we approach them with more curiosity instead of judgment. So when things come up like anxiety or fear or, you know, even feelings like depression or sadness or insecurities or shame or whatever it is, rather than feeling like we shouldn't feel that way and judging the fact that we're having those feelings, we can ask, what are these feelings saying to me? And allowing them to move through us, to move through our bodies. And it kind of like we were talking about last week with Sonia, instead of making judgments about others and categorizing them and othering them, putting labels on them and putting them into boxes and, and in the same way we do that with ourselves, right? Like what if we actually got curious and rather than othering ourselves and putting ourselves, labeling ourselves like, oh, I'm, you know, I shouldn't be feeling this way because this is this or that judgment. What if we approached even our own selves with a posture of curiosity? Like, huh, this is interesting. Like what's going on here? You know, or, or wow, this situation's really drawing something up in me. There's some major emotion in me and or like it's maybe it's causing my stomach to hurt or I've got these like, you know, knots in my back or my jaws clenched or what could that be telling me and becoming more curious about ourselves rather than, you know, placing judgment on it. Curiosity about our own emotions, about our own bodies and our own lives. And what if instead of judging where we think we should be in our life, what if we uh, just, you know, you know, I think a lot of times we, we judge ourselves and we, we feel like we should be somewhere and it's based on this whatever kind of measurement that we've placed on ourselves. What if we actually were curious about what could be instead of judging what we think should be, you know? And I think a lot of times it, I think we stop that curiosity by placing these unrealistic or almost like unreasonable expectations on our life of what we think it should be based on some, I don't know, like fairy tale expectation, maybe comparison of others or like some idea that we get from Instagram or <laughs> I don't even know where these things come from. But what if we approached ourselves with less judgment? What if, I think oftentimes we're taught to judge 
everything, right? Like even we've talked about this in the past, but like, was it a good day? Was it a bad day? You know, was this a good experience or a bad experience? But what if sometimes it just is, you know, and, and even if we know the experience wasn't great, what if we approached that with even more curiosity, like, okay, that wasn't a great experience, but what could that teach me? And what else is possible? And what if we give ourselves permission to feel whatever we feel with non-judgment? Yeah, I mean, that's like just scratching the surface about curiosity yeah. with ourselves. But yeah, I mean, how many of us don't take a curious posture with ourselves? I mean, how many of us avoid or like shove or numb or like hide from our feelings and our own inner world? Um, I mean, especially the fellas. <laughs> How many of us are, are just scared to face our emotions or like looking weak or vulnerable or um, like doing the hard work to, to go to our inner sort of life and space? But, but imagine the difference it would make in our lives if we stopped judging ourselves or avoiding or hiding from ourselves or comparing ourselves to other people and instead we just got curious about ourselves and pursued it in, I, I love that, in your like non-judgmental way. It would, it would literally change our life. Yeah, I mean, and also we haven't, it's not like we just always do this. This is something we're growing in right now and really. The, we got really intentional with the curiosity part. It's the non-judging yourself part that's hard. <laughs> Specifically me, yeah. No, I'm the same. It's yeah. really hard. But I we're, we're encouraging each other in that just to step away from the judgment and it's it's been so freeing, Yeah. you know? And I think this is a journey. This isn't like something you just step into suddenly because I think we're taught to judge. I mean, that's from a young age. We're taught are things good? Are they bad? Are you good? Are you bad? I mean, even like I cannot handle the word naughty, <laughs> but like when we call kids naughty, like you're naughty. Yep. I know that people don't really use that word that much anymore, but for some reason I've heard it a bunch recently and I cannot handle. We place judgment on our kids at such a young age. Like we are taught this stuff at such a young age. Are you good? Are you bad? Are you being good? Are you being bad? Are you, you know? Yeah. Um, rather than curious. What's going on in you there, buddy? You just hit your brother. <laughs> What's going on? You know? The curious. So. Okay. okay that, yeah. That's curious with ourselves. But what about other people being curious to other people? Yeah. I mean, we've been asking this question like what if we if people if we were to all become more curious about each other rather than jumping straight to judgment you know like listening and really trying to hear where people are coming from before placing that judgment on them before deciding even like what they're about you know we talked about this in the episode with Sonia about how we other people how we kind of even can in 10 seconds, we place a judgment on what we think a person is, you know, just by like assessing them in our, in our visual of them without even probably talking to them. And we, what we want is we want people to do this for us. You know, we want us, we want to get a chance to be able to explain where we're coming from. We want people to give us the benefit of the doubt, but then for some reason it's harder to do that for others, you know? And so I think the question we've been asking is even when we think somebody has completely different, you know, political views, or worldviews, like what if we just were curious? What if we asked more questions? What if we 
actually listened to where they're coming from before just throwing them in a box and writing them off? You know, how would that change the world? And what if you treated others with the same measure of respect Mm. (laughs) and let them share where they're coming from that you actually want, you know, from everyone else? And so even if they don't change your mind about whatever the thing is, and, and, you know, most likely they're not going to, (laughs) because we all have our, our values and our, and our worldviews, but at least you'll be able to see them as a human, Mm. you know, and have a better understanding of where they're coming from. And this is where I think when we're talking about making change, making change in ourselves and in the world, can you imagine if we all really did this? This is, I mean, this is, it's like swimming upstream. This is, we've taught, we've been taught to do otherwise. What if we were curious about that, each other? That book, um, The Righteous Mind by Jonathan Haidt, I was just leaning over to look at it on the bookshelf because I was trying to remember what the subtitle is. It's why it is why good people are divided by religion and politics. And it's brilliant if you haven't read it. Uh, it's, it's an undertaking. So give yourself some time and dig into it, especially in our divided like time that we live in, it's so helpful um, just to understand. But uh, he, he, one of the big concepts he talks about is um, he calls it the rider and the elephant. And he says that like it's picture like a small rider on a big elephant and the elephant is like your unconscious mind and self that actually makes the decisions and drives where you're at and what you're doing. And like your kind of reason and intellect is like, your conscious self is like the little rider on top of that elephant. And, and they say often what happens is we try to um, argue with people and convince them by like, trying to convince the little rider on the elephant, but the elephant's like doing its thing. Like right. he's, he's like, if you want to connect with people and, and understand or, or even like convince them of, of, of whatever your idea or worldview or thought is, position, whatever, He's like, you have to actually figure out how to connect with the elephant, like the deep unconscious self. And he's like, often the only way that happens is like a genuine, empathetic mm. listening. Yeah. And he's like, but the problem with that is, is often if you genuinely let it all down and you genuinely empathetically listen, yeah. there's a good chance you're going to get your mind changed in the <laughs> yeah. process. And he's like, yeah. it's kind of dangerous. Yeah. Um, which and is why most are, people don't do it. Right. Because people are scared of that. Right. You know, and it. And this stuff sounds small, like, okay, be curious. But think about what a massive change this would make in the world if we all approached each other this way. I mean, think about it in terms of like polit- politics and politicians, if they were to actually listen to yeah. each other or educators or business people in business or finance or whatever. I mean, imagine if we could actually actively empathetically listen to each other and try and understand where the other person's coming from. Yeah, I think if we approach through that kind of curiosity, I think we'd learn so much more from each other and about each other, and there'd just be a lot less of the extreme polarization that exists today. Yeah. I think there'd still be difference. It would just of course. perhaps be like a, like maybe if there's a curiosity about other people's point of view with a recognition that you don't have to agree with it, then like, like maybe it would be like a difference with like a, a mutual respect in learning or like, a, yeah, I, I understand that, and that makes sense, and I respect that. However, you know, different or like just curious in, I mean, even just on an interpersonal level, like with others, when you get into a fight or you get mm-hmm. into, I mean, we don't know anything about that. No, we never fight. Um, <laughs> a beef. Yeah. And 
I mean, it's like my gut reaction when we fight, mm. if I get triggered. Yes, do tell. <laughs> <laughs> is a immediate, like the all the hormones flood in and it like takes over your body and you immediately are like defend mode or whatever mode. And then, um, I mean, the moments that you can actually stop and go, huh, I wonder what she meant by that or... Um, where are you coming from on that? Mm-hmm. Or, oh, that's where you're getting that thought. Or like, you know what I mean? Like those, it's such a different place of curiosity of where are you coming from in that your feelings and experience and perspective is quite valid. And different than mine. Yeah. Imagine. It's hard. It's hard to do because you have to set down your ego for a moment. The moment that we, that I, I'll speak for myself, go, all right. I'm going to get over myself for a minute and I'm going to actually listen and try to hear where you're coming from. It's amazing how I do. <laughs> and then that changes my perspective. And even if I don't agree with you, or even I, if I think my feelings are still totally valid, I can at least, I'm like, well, you really did feel that way. And I can validate that. And I can yeah. actually go, all right, well, I'm sorry that I made you feel that way or whatever. Right. So it's yeah. a massive and, game changer. And we've been talking about this with our kids a lot because, you know, Kids will come home and they'll be like, oh, like that so-and-so was so mean or whatever. And we've been trying to teach them like empathy and and how to step into other people's shoes and, and to imagine like, well, like what might their life be like? And where do you think they might be coming from? Or why might they be acting that way that makes them come off like that, you know? And really what we're trying to teach is to curiosity, you know? I wonder what struggles they might face. I wonder what might what might be going on beyond what you see when they're being mean or when that person treats you that way. Yeah. So, and you could you could break this down forever, but Oh, yeah. I mean, yeah, but it's easier to talk about than to actually do. Oh, yeah. <laughs> when you're like <laughs> in the moment, subconscious mind and sort of lifelong accumulated worldview is behind you and all your emotions got you fired up it's um but i think curiosity with other people really would change the world just at least in the ways in which we interact but like even at a larger level speaking about changing the world like what would it look like if we had like we're curious about the world itself yeah you want to tell your coliseum story <laughs> Our Coliseum story? Well, I mean. Our, on our one year. It's more fun when you tell it. So why don't you tell it? <laughs> on our one year wedding anniversary, we went to Europe and we spent a month backpacking around. Oh man, we have actually so many good stories from this trip. Jen just We'll have found to tell some more later. An infamous friendship bracelet from that trip in her jewelry box and uh, pulled that thing out. Anyway. wearing it around. Um also, oh. we lived on $4 a day. That's another story. It's a whole thing. That was the whole thing. <laughs> and we <laughs> would send back. We had a, like an email list of friends that we wanted to update on our journey. And the only way that we could do <gasps> oh, that was to that. go into internet cafes yes. and type out emails and then send it to people and then just move on. What a weird time. That was so weird. And we took the time to do that. Yes, we did. <laughs> so funny. Um, uh. Anyway, side note. So we went to the Coliseum. And there's long lines to get in. I was really excited to see it. Um, huge fan of the Gladiator, obviously. Also, um, I, was, I was doing seminary 
Jin's shaking her head at me right now, like, that's why you wanted to see it? No, obviously not, but yes. Um, we were pumped to go see this thing. And there's a huge line to get in. And as we're in line, there's obviously a lot of people from a lot of different places and countries and cultures and languages. And there were some people in front of us that were American. And they were kind of brash, and they were sort of typical... Shocking. American personalities in Rome. But which you're always trying to be like, we're not with them. Yeah, we're trying to be cool. We, which we know we stood out like obviously we're American. Yeah. And they get to the front and they're going to pay to get into the Coliseum. And they're trying to pay with like a hundred dollar American bill to get in. And they're not taking their American money because they're like, well, we don't take American money here. At that time, they just didn't take it. And the guy started getting super mad and he started yelling. Because it's Italy, by the way. He started screaming <laughs> and he's like... What is going on around here? And he, he turns around after like a fight with the people behind the glass to pay to get in. And he starts yelling and his wife has her head down. She's covering the kids or trying to pretend like they're not Our heads him. are down. We're like, oh, we're like, this I, is this. shame. And he takes his $100 bill and holds it with two hands over his head. And he's all, I guess they won't take my money here. And he rips his dollar bill over and over again, screaming, why does anyone speak English? And why does it take my money? And it was the most ridiculous like crazy, oh my gosh, my money's no good here. Like, what's wrong with these people? And it's like, he was in a different nation so caught up in himself that he was unwilling to open himself up to his new surroundings. Like everything should just be like me and where I come from and what I know and what I believe and how I spend money. Like, is I mean, curiosity requires an openness. <laughs> and humility, you know? How much of... American life is about ego <coughs> and centering ourselves and exporting our way of life and culture pretty much on the world. You know, I mean, I think this is the struggle for, for humanity, really. And curiosity is the means by which we can die to that. We can die to the ego. We can it just be open and explore the world around us. With It's, it's so much more fun, really, <laughs> that posture. So what if we were to simply be more curious about how to make a better world? For instance, what if we were more curious and we asked questions like, you know, why is global warming happening and, and what's causing climate change to be a significant problem and what could we actually do about it? Or like, why is racism still a significant right. thing, issue, problem, injustice in our country and in our world? And then maybe what part have we, whoever we is, like played a part in that? Yeah. Like, for, like for for us when we were leading the church, there's big conversations around um, evangelicalism and like the part that the church played in that. But like, or, or like, what can we do about that? Just, just like general curiosity. How did it get to this point? And then what can we do? Yeah. But curiosity is costly because if you're going to open yourself up, then really it's setting down the ego, you know? And if you find new information that's true or that's interesting, you may actually be faced with, okay, now what am I going to do with that information? And, and whether that's how you operate or relate or shop or eat, spend the way you spend your money. And I think like that's what we talked about before. We were joking that we're scared to watch a handful of documentaries right now because we know that we are curious about it. While we're curious, it's like we almost don't want to go there because we know that we're probably going to be challenge to make some big changes in our life. And I think that's why a lot of people are scared to be curious generally. It's just scared of change, fearful. Well, and if you're defending something too, 
it's really easy to call curious people bad names. Like almost as a way of like attempting to diffuse the power of curiosity mm. and its connecting ability. Like if you're defending something, it's really easy to call curious people heretics. It's like an emotional word that's scary and powerful and deterring people from curiosity. And that's not just confined to the religious world either. Yes, because curious people, they don't take everything at face value, right? And so what if if things aren't working for us or for, for our society, what if we got curious and we asked questions like, what if we structured it differently? Or what if we got curious about our history and how decisions in the past impact us now? You know, I'm, yeah, I think... It does, it, curiosity can lead to threatening structures that are in place or, you know, things that are what is, right? Yeah. It leads, because it leads to change. But good, honest questions aren't something to be afraid of. No. Um, just even on a, like a general sense of curiosity, like in our world, like just curious about your work. Yeah. Um, curious about what you're doing, how it's driving you and how it's like changing the world or things around you. Like there's a difference between just clocking in to get paid and like loving what you do constantly curious and trying to like push it and grow it and like lean into it in different ways. Um, yeah. You can tell the people who are just having fun and curious and leaning in and excited. You can tell it's contagious. When not just like it, I almost feel like that's like a symptom of a bigger thing. Like you can just tell someone that's curious mm, generally general. about life yeah. and the way they move and interact and look at things and engage with things and talk about them and ask questions. And like uh, curious people are are fun and profound and a little scary. <laughs> and um, yeah, I mean, what if we allowed our curiosity to move us to like – see the world differently, to dream and to take action to make changes that we want to see in the world. I think curiosity could change the world. Mm. Um, I always just think of Carter, <laughs> like what you just described. Anyway, endless. our youngest son is endlessly curious and it's contagious. His curiosity is, it is. it's powerful. Recently, he was asking a bunch of questions and when we were answering oh, them, he dove under the covers and he was like, ah, and then he would poke his head out from the sun. Like, but what about this? And we'd answer and he'd be like, ah, and he would That's because it was about sex. <laughs> <laughs> he came home with questions. Um, and and then kind of didn't want the answers. But then it, but it didn't deter him. He just <laughs> poke one eyeball out and keep, keep asking and then come come back in for safety. Um, mm. Yeah, I think, I think curiosity could change the world. One sex conversation with your kids at a time. Oh my! Okay, we're gonna. By the way, we are gonna have. We have to talk about that at some point. We want to do something on the talk. Talking to your kids about sex. We'll yeah. get there at some point. Total side tangent, but um, I think it's worth adding one more to it because we talked about curious with ourselves and each other in the world, but also I think there's like a special conversation around uh, what would curiosity with like faith and spirituality look like. Jesus says to have faith like a child, you know, and so I think of what kind of faith does a child have? And if you've ever talked to a 
kid about God or spirituality, it's constant questions. It's constant curiosity. I mean, just like I was saying about Carter, what about this? Why did Jesus do this? Where is heaven? What is it like? But why? 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 You know, and it's endless. Always. And when we were born, we were, you know, and when we were all kids, we were born that way, right? Like if you if you look at kids, that's they're curiously um, exploring the world around them. I mean, that's how they learn. That's how children learn, actually, is through play and curiosity and asking those questions. They have to stop and pick up every rock and feel it. They have to pick up every stick and bang it against something and see what happens and experience it with all of their senses. They have to ask a million questions and then... I think at some point we we lose that curiosity. I don't I don't know. I think it probably happens at different points for all of us, but slowly we it's like we become complacent, almost like we feel like we already know it all. You know, like there's nothing left to be curious about and how many of us do that with our view of God? Almost like acting like we have it all figured out. Which is ridiculous if you think, <laughs> if you think about God. Yeah. You know? How could we possibly understand everything about the infinite, about the divine, about the one, the creator of the universe? You know, I mean, we've talked about this, but actually our view of God changes every seven years, which is really just growth and curiosity, you know? And so let's, it's like, I think like, let's just stop pretending that that's, you know, not a thing. Like we, I think we should actually be more concerned when we stop asking questions. And when we stop growing and we stop evolving and we stop being curious. Yeah, but I think faith and spirituality, I think leaders within that can almost like argue the opposite or create a culture of the opposite. I, I remember, oh man, it must have been 15 years ago. I don't remember the exact date. There's a very famous sermon by a very famous pastor at that time, really influential, especially in a lot of the circles that I was a part of, um, gave this sermon about like asking questions. And he was essentially saying like, you can't ask questions about the Bible or about like the particular stream of, of you know, faith and spirituality and Christianity that he was, you know, adamant about. Um, and he was saying, his, his point was, do you remember the last time somebody asked a question? He's like, it was the devil. <laughs> I'm not so kidding. Ridiculous. This is the sermon. <laughs> As a serpent in the Garden of Eden. And he deceived Eve. And then Eve asked a question and it deceived Adam. And then sin came and humanity fell. So we don't ask questions because the devil asks questions like a snake. And I remember thinking, this is the most insane thing. Yeah. I've ever heard. And then it felt like Fahrenheit 451. Like, are we gonna burn the books too? Other pastors in our area started like quoting him and giving the same messages based on mm -hmm. what he was saying, which was like it, it was like everyone was repeating the message and it was it felt like a bunch of like burn your books kind of like Fahrenheit 451 messages. Yeah. And there was particular books at the time, they're like, well, you can't read these ones. These are really particularly dangerous, which is a side note, is like the quickest way to get everybody to <laughs> totally. go out and buy those books and read them. It's like, you can it's never read this one books. ever. Yeah. Um, which is, I mean, I, I remember a guy at the time was a part of a church. He was a, a brilliant guy, he was a doctor. And he said, yeah, I feel like when I'm out there in the world doing my like life, my doctor stuff. My real life. I turn my brain on and mm -hmm. I like did my thing. But then when I 
go to church, it's like you're entering this magical land. And I just turn my brain off because <laughs> I like the community and it's really fun. And then when I leave, I turn my brain back on. And I'm like, whoa, that's really sad to me. Because that can't work for very long. Like mm -hmm. there's some point that a person who's doing that's going to say, you know, I just don't think this works for me anymore. Which may be why statistically so many people have left the church in these last decades. Well, it's just living split, which is how long can you do that for? Not living in alignment like that with your within your own soul, you know? Only for so long. Um, and, and just a thought too, like if your beliefs and positions and systems are unable to stand up to like genuine, authentic questions and inquiry and curiosity without threatening people. Like, what does that say about those beliefs about the systems or about God? Like, it seems to me that any belief and idea about God powerful enough to create and transform and save a world should be able to stand on its own two feet, especially up against like just genuine inquiry and conversation. Like, it seems to me that the, the creator and animating spirit of the universe can stand on God's own two feet. Yeah. If that itself not too worried was not about that. some sort of anthropomorphism. You know what I mean? Like, I'm not worried about him or her or, or spirit, whatever. You know what I mean? It should yeah. be able to stand up. I know. It's interesting how people of certain strands of certain faith traditions, it's almost like they they feel this need, though, to convince people of their side or their view, almost like it's a just argument, like endless arguments about their points rather than just focusing on compellingly embodying the message and the thing and showing people with their lives what it looks like rather than displaying it, they're weaponizing it um, to like win a point, you know? And I think what's funny about that to me is that most of the time you're not going to win somebody over in an argument, you know? Like that's how compelling is that to people? <laughs> well, you said it meaner or like more convincingly i just i don't know that that's how it works it's the rider and the elephant right but curiosity says you don't have to agree with somebody to listen to them to show respect to them and you can listen and not agree and i think you can be open and be curious and hear about their point of view and still not take it as your own truth i mean you can yep. listen and still decide at the end of the conversation well that's okay i see where you're coming from and also that's not true or that's not at least my truth you right. know but i think like we said what scares people about this is appro approach is that when you do really open yourself up and you really are truly being curious to other people's views you may actually learn something new and your views may change and i think that's what actually scares people you know because when you see where someone's coming from that can be scary because it does cause you to look at your own self and your own worldview and maybe that will shift a bit but it's also growth it is. Yeah. It's, it's like a holding it all together sort of space. Yeah. I think what can happen sometimes is that our fear can squash any sense of curiosity. But God baked curiosity into our existence. You know, it's who we, it's who we were made to be, into our being. And that's, I think, what partly makes us human is our curiosity. We don't need to be scared of it. Well, and that's, that's what's interesting about even reading in the scripture about the life of Jesus. He was like radically curious 
if you can look at it from that perspective. Like mm -hmm. all these stories about Jesus and the way that he engaged his own life and world around him and the way that he asked questions and the way that he engaged people. Um, think about like the woman at the well. Like it's like a forbidden conversation with a forbidden person. Right. And he he just like broke all those rules to like, hey, how about you give me a Like he opened up instant like conversation and like he leaned in to explore the life and contours of her life and ultimately her town. Or like like the rich young ruler story is fascinating because someone comes to him and is like, what do I do to inherit eternal life? And he's, he's curious and he's like asking them and he's engaging and he's leaning in and he's figuring out where they're at and what they need. And uh, it's, it's like a, it's a curiosity that drives that entire conversation, which ultimately ended with the ruler walking away going, well, I can't do that. But it says that Jesus loved him. Hmm. It's, it's like a curiosity driven by love or like the Zacchaeus story, the tax collector who, um, encounters Jesus by climbing up in a tree when he sees him come by and Jesus gives him this forgiveness and tax collectors were bad people because they robbed everybody. And uh, Jesus's like curiosity was so funny because he looks at him and he's like, it's like, I'm coming to your house for dinner. It's like, let's, let's see where you live. Let's see what you got going. Let's see what kind of food you, it's like the whole thing was like. It reminds me of like the, of like middle schoolers, like, let's go to your house, you know, cause you want to, yeah. you want to go like, see what's going on there. It's, like, it's more up, fun. Big little man. Let's go eat your food. <laughs> um, you know what I mean? Or like the woman in adultery. Like, I mean, you could go on. Like, who's without sin here? Like, what have you guys been up to? Like, the whole sort of engagement. Mm. Like, he he Interesting. rejected judgment to embrace curiosity. Yes. And he yeah. typically only issued judgment to those who were judging other people. Ooh. Otherwise, he was just endlessly curious. Like, think about the blind man that came to him on the street. Mm -hmm. And he's like, gee, he's like calling his name. And Jesus is like, what's up? what do you want me to do? And you're like, he's freaking blind. It's really clear what he wants. <laughs> yeah. And he's like, well, I don't know. Let me ask. Hey, man, what's up? What are you? Like he was, he was mm. curious. Um, all the details of the stories and the parables, it's like the nature and the soil and the crops. He was so observant and curious, like the farming and the animals and the life and the relationships. He was just a radically curious being. Yeah, I I think there's a I think a lot of the like profound life in like an embodied spirituality is in the curiosity of it all. Yes. Otherwise it just gets really stagnant. Yeah. It'll change the world. It really will. And if we approached ourselves and each other and the world and our faith with more curiosity and less judgment really do think the world would be changed. And unless you've kept some sort of beautiful, pure curiosity from your childhood, which I, I do think some people have, this may be more of a journey for you. I think it's something that we we oftentimes almost have to intentionally choose to, to lean into and to grow in comfortability with. Where once you begin to step away from self-judgment and judgment of others and lean into a more curious, open-hearted space, I think think that you'll be surprised by what you find, by how fun it is. And we just want to encourage you, be curious. Be curious how you approach yourself and others and the world and see what will happen. Thanks so much for joining us. Don't forget to check out our website, philandjenwood.com, to register for upcoming experiences and to see what else is going on. And if you enjoyed this, feel free to subscribe. You can even leave a review. Keep going. See you next time.